Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, chapter 2. Last week, we saw an incredible picture of faith as we watched four men do whatever it took to get a paralyzed man into the presence of Jesus. And then we saw Jesus in response not only heal the paralyzed man, but first heal the man's sins to teach the watching scribes a lesson regarding his power and authority. And as we get into today's text, we are going to see an interesting story of Jesus as he models reaching the lost. And I know that some of you will hear the story and think, so what's the big deal? What's so exciting about what Jesus is doing here? And in response, some of you would say, well, there's no big deal at all happening here. And the reason for this, I believe, is that some of us have a heart and a desire to reach the lost, and some of us don't see the big deal in reaching the lost. And I think that's where we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to convict us of our apathy and our, not, and our complacency. And bring us back to a place where we care about those who are dying and going to hell. Amen? We need God to reignite a fire in us regarding these things. So I have two requests for you today as you listen to the message. Number one, will you be honest about your attitude and actions regarding reaching the lost? I think it's a fair request, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit is going to work in our lives. We're praying that the Holy Spirit is going to show up. And bring conviction where conviction is needed, encouragement where encouragement is needed. But we got to have a right attitude about our position on the lost around us. And if we're really honest with ourselves, some of us just don't really care anymore. We would never say it that way. We would never really even kind of voice it in any way, shape, or form similar to that. But the reality is by our actions, and we know actions speak louder than words, we really don't care about the lost around us. So will you be honest about your attitude and actions regarding reaching the lost? And number two, will you be willing to change your attitude and actions regarding reaching the lost? Someone said a long time ago, if we want to see a different result, we have to do different actions. We can't keep doing the same thing day in and day out and expect a different result, right? That means sometimes we have to be honest about our our lifestyle and how we choose to use the time and who we choose to invest in and ask God to do something different so something can happen. It means we have to sometimes do something a little bit different. So if you would, follow along as I begin reading in Mark chapter 2 this morning. I want to read verses 13 through 17. And with those two things in mind, being honest about our attitude and actions regarding the lost and then being willing to change our attitude and actions regarding each and the lost, keep those two thoughts in mind as we read and learn from Jesus' life. Since Jesus went out again beside the sea, the whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, Follow me, and he got up and followed him. And while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. And when the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So the very first thing I want you to see is that Jesus went out. 
He went out. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? He went out. And he went out with a purpose and with an idea in mind that he was going to reach people. Remember, he told the other disciples that were following him earlier over and over again, I came to reach the lost. So he was all about reaching the lost. And if it was important for Jesus to get out, what do you think it ought to be important to us? To get out and to mingle with people. He actually left his house even though I'm sure he was exhausted. Remember, we're seeing day after day that he's out with people. He's mingling. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had any amount of time with a crowd of people, you know how exhausting it can be. He's absolutely, I'm sure, tired. But he's out. And he's mingling. And he left his house even though he's exhausted. And you know, we live in a culture that in all honesty works hard but loves to sit after work, right? Is that not true of all of us? I mean, you put in a day's work and you're tired, you're exhausted. What do you want to do? Go home and sit. Jesus didn't take that luxury upon himself. He got out, and when he was tired, he went out again. That's the example that he gave us. And Jesus kept teaching them the things concerning himself. And we know that according to Luke chapter 24, verse 27, he was teaching them the things concerning himself. He wanted them to know the truth. He was continually teaching them. And if we're going to have an impact in the world around us, we can't just sit tied up in our homes, folks. It's all about relationships and getting out where people are and making known the truths that you hold dear in your heart to those around you that need to hear them. So we can't just sit back in our, tied up in our homes and expect God to do something. We have to be about the Father's business, so to speak. As Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, the crowd is following him. And here's the idea behind the word follows. In imperfect tense, it means they kept following him. It's like Jesus couldn't get away from him even if he wanted to. Everywhere he went, they were right, you know, three steps on his heel. They kept following him. But you know, here's the thing is he kept teaching them, it's the same concept. It never stopped. The imperfect tense means it just keeps going on and on and on. They're following him, he's teaching them. He's following them, he's teaching them. They're following him, he's teaching them. It just keeps going on and on and on. So he's out there teaching them the things concerning himself. But as he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, the crowd is following him, and he sees Levi. And we know according to Matthew chapter 10, verse 3, he's really talking about Matthew here, Matthew the tax collector. He's singing in a booth, and this idea behind the booth there, as you read it in the Christian standard here, is kind of interesting. Uh, the son of Alphie is sitting in the toll booth. Now we know that this toll, this toll booth was... Uh, possibly an elevated platform, a, a booth of some sort, a bench that was common to where people would pay their taxes. And uh, Levi is a tax collector. Um, if we could kind of make a modern day comparison, maybe slightly, maybe not perfectly, he's an IRS agent, only worse. How many of you IRS people are your favorite people in the world to deal with? Exactly what I thought, not a single hand. Possibly a little worse than the IRS, they inflated the taxes, the cost to make money in order to get rich. You say, well, that's what the IRS does. It might not be that big a comparison, but you know, the bottom line is here's somebody that is there ripping people off, adding a little bit more than what is required to make himself rich. Um, can I just say this, by the way? They were hated, they were not well loved people. They're not people that you wanted to go out, you know, grab lunch with on. Thursday during lunch hour. They're not the people that they wanted to spend time with. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus sees them sitting over there, 
And he calls out to Levi, Matthew, and says, follow me. And in the language here, guess what he does? Stops everything and follows Jesus. Um, I want to say a couple things about this whole process here just for a moment. When's the last time, and I want you to put your thinking caps on just for a moment, but when's the last time you felt a clear impulse of the Holy Spirit to do something? Just think in your mind. The Holy Spirit challenged you, uh, convicted you, put a burden on your heart, you're either to address a need, to go to a certain place, to reach out to a certain someone, and you didn't do it. Because we all know we have a thousand excuses as to why we shouldn't, or couldn't, or can't. The bottom line is, you didn't even think about it. According to the language here, he stopped everything, says, boom, gone, gone. Didn't have to sit there and reason. I wonder what I should do. I wonder how this will play into my lifestyle. I'm wondering who's watching me to see what's happening here. Uh, don't really know what's going on, but he just stopped everything and went. What an example. So he calls for Levi to follow, and he does. And his call was immediate. But this is where I think the story takes a really unusual twist. Just for a moment, bear with me. For some reason, Jesus is now at Levi's house eating. And there's an interesting guest list here. Look back in the text here just for a moment. Verse 13, Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him. He was teaching them. And remember, once again, every time something happens, somebody's watching. So Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. Hot on his heels is the crowd. And Jesus reaches out to a hated public official. What do you think everyone else is thinking? But to make matters worse, he's now at Levi's house eating with them. So, verse 15, while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, here's the interesting guest list, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with them. What in the world is going on here? I mean, think about this. Jesus, this highly public, visible being, is eating with a bunch of sinners and tax collectors, the scum of society, if you will. The group that nobody likes. Isn't that interesting to you? Who's in that list of people you don't want to eat with? Those that are all tatted up? Those that have earrings? Those that are alcoholics? Those that you know do drugs? Those that are fill in the blank. Who is it that you're uncomfortable to spend time with? And you know what I found in my life? I can justify that list. Well, I don't want people to think I'm like them, so I just kind of... Really? It's a pretty lousy excuse. I'm not saying I ought to be your best friends in the world. But I'm saying if you don't spend time with them, you'll have no impact on them whatsoever. You know what I find in life is that most of those people that you're afraid to deal with, to talk to, are looking for a conversation. I mean, can you imagine just for a moment the conversation? 
or the lack thereof. They're sitting around in Levi's house and they're reclining and you get the idea of Middle Eastern style. I mean, they're kind of leaning back. They're kind of sitting on their elbows. They're kind of snacking, whatever. They're kind of down low to the ground because most of the time they didn't have tables and chairs like you and I have tables and chairs. Let me ask this question. How many times have you been to a dinner for a wedding, a funeral, a birthday party, a graduation party, and you really don't know anyone there? And it's kind of that awkward moment that you're just praying to God Almighty. Please, God, let somebody I know appear in front of me so this is not so weird. Anybody ever had that spot? I think we all have. You're saying, God, just anybody. I mean, it could be an acquaintance from 10 years ago, just so I know somebody. And it's awkward. But you're praying for it. This is that crowd that Jesus is in. But there's a couple things that come to my mind, along with the word why. I mean, here's Levi, Matthew, who immediately drops everything and follows Jesus. But where does he take Jesus? And you notice the, the transition here to Levi's following Jesus, and now Jesus is at Levi's home. How did that happen? How did it go from Levi following Jesus to Jesus being in Levi's home? I think it can only come down to one rational explanation to me. Could be wrong, but it's what comes to my mind. It's my speculation, if you will. Levi made a decision to follow Jesus. And in that decision to follow Jesus, you ever heard the phrase, birds of a feather flock together? Like begets like. I think Levi or Matthew knew a whole bunch of people that also needed to follow Jesus. And what better way than to say, Jesus, why don't you come over to my place? I got some people you need to meet. Think about that. Is there any other rational explanation other than Jesus changed his life? And rather than clamming up and saying, I got fire insurance, I'm now going to heaven, I want people to know about it. How, how crazy is that? Crazy. In our culture. It's the only thing I can think of. Is that because he began to follow Jesus, he brings them to other people who need to follow Jesus. And of course, it's not just... Let me back up here just for a minute. So you know about the tax collectors. But then there's a bunch of sinners there. Figure that one out. But the word sinners here is interesting. These were those who purposefully, intentionally opposed the law, who opposed Jesus, who opposed what was right. That's all of us outside of Christ, by the way. But it was especially true of this group. And of course, the scribes and Pharisees were playing private detective on Jesus too here. I mean, think about this. All along from the beginning, every time they turned around, who, were, who was there? The scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, making sure that they get an eye on Jesus, making sure, you know, we question whatever he does. I mean, think about this. 
uh, chapter 7. I just let me give you a little idea. We're not going to spend a lot of time there because we'll get to it later down the road. But Mark chapter 7, it says, verse 1, The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the traditions of the elders. I mean, these guys were the perfect, or, or perfect protectors of the law. I mean, how dare anybody do anything that is against the law? So they are always got the evil eye, the detective eye out, making sure that everybody upholds the law. Verse 4, And when they came, come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed, and there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, dining, couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Instead of eating bread with ceremonial unclean hands, he answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. Whoa! This guy's looking for a fight. I mean, he means is Isaiah prophesied about you hypocrites. I have to imagine that Jesus spoke with authority, right? Because it tells us he spoke with authority. He wasn't just so well because you guys. Um, um, I think he stole, stood up boldly because he wanted to teach them a lesson. He says, "It is written, verse six." This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is what? Far from me. Isn't that amazing? This is nothing new under the sun. Because he's always said, actions speak louder than words. You can say that you love me, but John tells us that if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commands. And then he tells us later that the commands are not grievous, they're not difficult, they're not too hard. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Let's put ourselves right here. What, what is the definition of somebody who says they're one thing but does something else? I wonder how many of us, honestly, and I put myself in this category. I'm not preaching at you or over you. I'm including me as us. How often are we hypocritical in our actions? We say we love Jesus, but our actions don't back it up. What does that make us? Hypocrites says the people honor me with their lips i think if we could put that in today's vernacular we come to church and we lift our hands to jesus and we worship and lord we love you we want to spend time with you so thankful for all that you've done for us but don't bother me monday through saturday because i'm busy i got my tasks to do they honor me with the lips but the heart i wonder how many of us kind of fall into that trap at times says, they worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, human commands. We follow our guidelines. We have our rules and regulations that we live by, our standards that we keep. But where's our heart? Verse 8, abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. Well, I do this because this is what I've always done. I do this because this is the way I do it. It's the way we've done it for church in years. He also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. It says, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father and mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother whatever benefit you might have received from 
me as Corbin, that is, an offering devoted to God, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. Wow. So here's this wonderful group of wonderful believers who are walking steadfastly close to Jesus. No. Playing detective. Making sure that Jesus and the disciples did what they were supposed to do. And Jesus says, you're hypocrites. Who would love to spend time with those people? Can I just say this too? These sinners who were purposefully violating God's laws. And let me say, that's every one of us that violate God's law. We're all sinners. How do I know that? Because Romans, I believe, chapter 8 says, they that mind the things of the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. That means it's a choice. And they that mind the things of the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. It's a choice. I can either choose daily to set my mind on the things of the flesh or let my mind be set on the things of the Spirit. It's a daily choice. And every one of us has to make that. So can I just say this about the sinners that he was eating with? He was never condoning their sinfulness. Ever. Ever. Just because he sat down with them does not mean he was condoning them and their actions. Because God's Word tells us already that he was continuously teaching them. However, the scribes and Pharisees couldn't comprehend what Jesus was thinking by eating with them. They were too worried about the law that they were breaking. I love what John Phillips noted on his commentary of Mark 2. He spent time with the lepers, healing them, and now he's spending time with the moral lepers, healing them. The people, the outcasts of society that no one else wants to spend time with. Who's in that group for you? Think about it. Remember, I asked you to be honest about our actions and attitudes towards reaching the lost. Who's part of that group that you don't want to spend time with? People in what section of town you don't care to drive through? People at work that you just avoid like the plague? That relative that just irritates you? Who is it? Because I guarantee as I'm sitting there saying these things, you have somebody in mind that you want to avoid. We all do. So Jesus explains his rationale for eating with these sinners and tax collectors, tax collectors, verse 17. When Jesus heard this, he told them, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus explains, he says, bottom line is, well people don't need a doctor, but those who are sick. No doubt, because they were not sinners or tax collectors, they considered themselves to be good people, no doubt. I mean, think about this just for a moment. Um, my sin is different than your sin, so that puts me in an entirely different category, right? Sounds good. Decent rationale, right? I mean, I'm not like them. I haven't openly defied God, so that's not me. I put myself in a different category of sinners than this category of sinners. I mean, they're druggies. They're prostitutes. They're 
Fill in the blank. They're different than, my sin is better than their sin. Oh, we don't say it, but isn't that how we act? Let's be honest. Let's be honest, folks. These wonderful, God-fearing scribes and Pharisees put themselves in a different group because they followed the law. What if we do something that's right to do with the wrong attitude? Is that still sin? Seriously, is it? Yeah. Because God is concerned with the attitude as much as he's concerned about the action. So what happens, parents, when you tell your child to do something, and they go do it? Are you happy with the response? No. Why? Because now we have something else to deal with, the attitude. Well, I do fill in the blank. For God. I do this for God. I do that for God. I do this for the Lord. Fill in the blank. This, to me, is convicting. Because I think sometimes we're not so far off from where the scribes and Pharisees were. They were in a different category than those other people. How dare Jesus call a tax collector to follow him as a disciple? I mean, think about it. This must have rocked their world. What in the world is Jesus thinking? How in the world can he call this guy who's a tax collector, a hated public official, to actually be one of us, a spiritual person? I don't know the mind of God. But here's what I do know. Are we not all sinners in need of a Savior? Yes or no? Yeah. Are we not all sinners saved by grace? Yes or no? And once we are saved, are we not all His trophies of grace? I absolutely love it. I'm just being honest. I love it. When I see somebody who's been living in sin and all of a sudden the light switch turns on and they get it that Jesus Christ has died for me and they put their faith and trust in Christ and they respond to the Holy Spirit is working in their life and everything changes isn't that awesome? I mean think about it years ago I heard this song called Trophies of Grace and that's what it reminds me of a trophy of grace. And you know something? Only God can do that. And there's all kinds of people around us that are trophies of grace. Where God intervened in their life in such a way that they understood that they were sinners. That Christ paid the price for their sin. And they could do nothing but put their faith and trust in Him to forgive them of their sins and to change their life. And they become a trophy of grace. I love that. I love that. So it comes down to in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Isn't that why he came? If that was the purpose of Jesus Christ, what do you think ought to be part of our purpose for living? Same thing. So if I could 
once again, as I asked you in the beginning, we be honest about your attitude and actions towards reaching the lost. If we're honest, when's the last time we opened our mouth? Just being honest. When's the last time where we just said, you know what, I got a burden for this person. I want to reach out to him. I might invite him to lunch. I might have him over for a bonfire. I might just kind of spend some time. I, I don't know about you, there's never a convenient time, ever. It just doesn't, it's never convenient. When's the last time we just had that thought that we said, Lord, who do you want me to impact? I find it interesting that you say, well, I'm not gifted that way. So? Because last time I checked, it's not your ability, your skills, your talents, your wordage, communication. It's Jesus Christ working through you. You're just a vessel. That's it. Plant seeds, leave the outcome to God. Really. Who are you reaching out to? And secondly, what about changing your mind towards your actions and attitudes, towards reaching the lost? I think sometimes we just need to do it. Don't think about it. We overcomplicate it. But just do it. I wonder if we lived in Jesus' day, which group would we, you and I, be most like? Would we be like Jesus who ate with sinners and tax collectors? Would we be like the sinners and tax collectors who needed Jesus to do the work in them? Would we be like the scribes and Pharisees who questioned everything Jesus did? Would we be like Matthew who immediately, or Levi who immediately followed and opened his home so Jesus could share with those other people their need? Or, like at the beginning of the message, those who are just tired and would rather sit around after a long day of work. Kind of apathetic towards what's going on around them. Where would you put yourself? Because I think we all fit in one of those categories. We really do. Every one of us in that room fit in one of those five categories. Let me read them again. Would we be like Jesus? Who were looking out through the eyes of God saying, Wow. There's sinners and tax collectors around us who need Jesus. I've got a burden to reach them. Or two, if we're honest, we're the sinner and tax collector who need Jesus to do a work in us. You've never come to that place where you've submitted to Jesus in salvation. Number three, the scribes and Pharisees who question everything Jesus did. Are you there? I mean, let me just tell you, a simple story to go with that. I thought it was kind of interesting. A couple years ago, some of you remember that we did a uh, a fundraiser for a mission team by doing a simple car wash at Beers of the World. <laughs> Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Got to know the owner over there pretty well. I talked to him from time to time. I run into him. And I thanked him for letting us do a car wash. I think we raised like $500 donation went towards missions. And one individual came up to me and goes, wow, this is a great opportunity, a great opportunity. And we passed out some brochures to anybody that wanted to know about church. We passed out some flyers, kind of talked with those that were interested in talking. 
had some good conversations throughout the morning, just from like 9 to noon. Then the next day, someone else has talked to me and says, did you hear what so-and-so said about you being up there at Beers of the World? They can't believe that you would lower yourself to go up there. The same person who told me the day before that they were glad we were there. Tell me how, how does that compute? Either you're for reaching the lost or you're not. And if you want different results, sometimes you have to do things a little bit differently. I'm not going up there getting drunk. I was washing cars. I'm sorry. I was meeting with people that needed Jesus. You may not like that. But neither did the Pharisees like that Jesus was sitting down with tax collectors and sinners. Really? And you probably never make an impact for the cause of Christ. Yeah, I said it. Because we can be put into our little boxes and be glad that we're in our box and we're not in somebody else's box because our sin is different than their sin. I've said it many times, folks. You know what the only difference is between my sin and your sin? Either yours or mine might be a little bit more visible than each other's. I can't see what happens in your home any more than you can see what happens in my home. But what makes your sin different than my sin? Because I thought all sin breaks the heart of God, right? Does it? He said, I didn't come to heal the well. They don't need a doctor. People who are sick need a doctor. Hopefully it would be like Levi who immediately follows Jesus and opens up his home so that Jesus can share God with them. But may it not be like any of us to say, well, I've had a long day, I just I want to sit. And just become more apathetic and non-caring about those who are lost and dying going to hell. Which group do you find yourself in? Are you willing to change, if need be you just have to believe that if we ask God for opportunities, I think God will answer that prayer request. Amen? I really do believe that. And I know for me, I have to work at it because I'm surrounded with Christians all day long, every day. I have to work at it. Anyone else find yourself there? You're around Christian people all day. People who already claim to know Jesus. We have to work at it. And that's why I said there's never a convenient time to help someone. Because we always have our own lists, our own to-do things. We always have a million things on our project list that need to be addressed. It's never convenient. But then I look at the example of Jesus. I'm sure he was tired. I'm sure he was exhausted. Jesus, for a period of time left the the splendor of heaven came down to earth and took on the limitations of the flesh he hungered he thirsted he wept and for a few years he understood what it meant to be tired and the crowd to be constantly on his heels and he had to fight to get those times away to pray and to rest but his focus and his purpose never changed. 
He was there to reach the lost. And if that was important to Jesus, what ought to be important to us? It's not easy. Anybody want to share the gospel with somebody that doesn't want to hear it? I found that sometimes people don't know what's good for them. I mean, how many babies love peas? I mean, I get it. Especially them little mashed up green ugly things. Throw on top of that broccoli or butternut squash in a mush form. No, thank you. I want steak. Sounds good. Babies don't understand what's best for them. We as parents give them what they need. And that's what we have to do with the law sometimes, is share, those, share what they need, not what they want. I found over the years that people have come to the doorway of the church, and they want money. But that's not what they need. What they need is Jesus. They just don't know it. And we live in that world today. Amen? So, will we be honest about our attitudes and actions concerning reaching the lost? In your mind, you say, well, I could do a better job. I need to be more open. I need to take more opportunities. I need to pray for those circumstances whereby I can share my faith. Be willing to go. That's understanding it and being honest about it. But secondly, will we change it? Take the opportunities. Make the opportunities so that we can have an impact for the cause of Christ in this world that we live. Let's pray.